Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Aviation Spotters podcast. I am your host, Colin Bozer. Real quick, guys, enjoyed last week's episode with Peter and Isaiah and that very unique two-guest episode. Um, they are truly two of my really good friends when I go down to Vegas, and I can't thank them enough for uh, their time and also helping me out with Vegas spotting and that good stuff. And uh, you know what? If if you guys like that two-person format, let me know. Give me some feedback, and we might try and make that happen again. I have a couple uh, ideas planned for a two-person, even a three-person podcast. So, you know, if you guys are interested, that if that interests you, please let me know, and uh, we'll make something like that happen again. Anyway, on to this week's episode, and uh, this we have been trying to get times where we can record this episode for a very long time. Uh, my guest today is a day one listener and a very big supporter of the podcast and he actually has given me a lot of feedback and actually he, he actually supplied me with a couple of questions that I actually added uh, early on in the podcast so um, he was born in Switzerland moved all around North America and Canada and across the United States and eventually ended up in Seattle in 2006 so it's my pleasure to introduce my friend from Seattle Washington Mr. Pete Schneider Peter how are you doing this, this afternoon I'm doing great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Of course. No, I'm doing great. It's a sort of beautiful day here in Idaho. Too early to tell with the weather right now, but hopefully uh, the sun holds out for a bit. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome, man. Well, let's, uh, you know what? Thanks again for coming on. And just want to say thank you for helping me out in the early days and actually supplying a couple questions. And when we get to those questions, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll let the listener know which ones they are. But uh, thank you for that real quick. Oh, you're welcome. Pleasure, pleasure to help out. And yes, I've been uh, listening from the get-go. Love the show. So um, yeah, I'm honored to be on here. Yeah, it's only a matter of time before I put you on here. Anyway, well, let's get to know you a little bit. So uh, where are you from and how you got into aviation? And uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's get to know you. Okay, so I was uh, born and raised in Switzerland um, after the high school and stuff. Eventually, I... Um, uh, studied mechanical engineering and then had a stint in the Swiss Army as it's mandatory there. And after that, I had set my sight to study film and television production. So via seven months in Canada to learn some more English, I um, ended up in the States. First, I uh, lived in the Midwest where I went to um, a university for television production studies and then moved on to Chicago where I worked for a safety consulting firm doing instructional videos like OSHA compliance stuff and then eventually moved out to the Seattle area where I live now and uh, my day job is um, shooting and editing training videos for firefighters. But on the hobby side obviously comes in the aviation side and the photography side and you know love to take pictures of uh, anything aircrafts uh, have a big uh, love for helicopters and uh, and a vertical flight but to back up a bit about where the, the love for aviation comes from is my dad in his younger years he used to be a soaring glider pilot instructor he even taught uh, acrobatics but he stopped flying once the family came along so 
but the love of aviation never faded so he took us to every air show to every airport for all spotting even like small grass strips you always had to go look what's going on what where can we walk around so that that love for aviation was was ingrained early on sometimes it was more sometimes it was less but um yeah so that's that's where this uh, came from awesome and real quick this is for people that people that don't know is you as swiss citizens have or, or how how's that work with the swiss citizens uh, they have to do a certain amount of time in the military right that usually works that uh, you know if you're a male and you're healthy there is a mandatory military service and when i did it it used to be that uh, you have to give i think it's 360 service days you have to do so you do like a basic training and a specialty training that is about various i think between 15 and, and 18 weeks and then afterwards depends of uh, what you're doing for the swiss military you either go back every year for a refresher course for two weeks or every two years for three weeks until you reach your service days in my case it was different because i asked for a, a leave of absence because i moved abroad so they usually grant grant these absences so and uh, eventually now i I, I became too old, so I'm not interesting to them anymore at mm -hmm. this point. Okay, cool. What was your specialty in the Swiss Army? I my specialty was I was in an air defense unit, and I was trained on stingers. Oh, cool! At the shoulder fired missiles, right? Correct, correct. So, with me being into like the love for aviation, when we had to go to aircraft, like an identifying class, as piece of cake for me. They showed us they showed us shapes of aircraft because all all we had to learn is friend or foe. So uh, other people struggled, and it was I had no issues with that. So that makes me kind of chuckle. So. And also, this is during the Cold War, still, right? So you were still going to the Soviet no, aircraft. No, right? no, 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 no. I mean, we did learn. We definitely learned Soviet aircrafts, but I did my stint in the Swiss Army. That was in the summer of 1996, yes. Oh, so, so like five years after the fall of the USSR. Right, okay. right, 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 right. Okay, all right. Well, cool. So hopefully so, uh, a lot of people learn something new. And just talking about the glider stuff real quick is, um, you know, we talked in the pre-show about, you know, you have now have your private pilot's license, but... Uh, did you have you ever done any sort of glide gliding at all? No, this is actually a bucket list item. I never had the chance to go fly with my dad because he stopped flying when the family came along because he just felt it was too risky to do with mm -hmm. having a family. So, um, but I have it's it's way on top of my list. I want to go at least to fly once once in a glider and there's uh, several glider outfits in the in the seattle area and usually every year when COVID's not going on and we go to this um local aviation ga aviation show in puyallup washington which would actually happen i think this weekend so which it's not happening but um they're always there exhibiting and and i talk to the folks there and i grab a brochure so it's really high on my list at least experienced at once and i know a lot of european countries are very big on, on gliding and stuff like that especially like not to switzerland but um 
like uh, Italy and Germany and stuff like that because with the Alps and stuff, right? Right. I mean, gliding is is very. I mean, it's very big in Switzerland, and it's also one of the more affordable ways to fly or you know exercise a flying hobby because anything GA related in Switzerland and in Europe in general is just so expensive. So that's why gliding is one of the lesser expensive of of all these GA categories. That's pretty cool. I knew the German World War II Luftwaffe. They used to train their pilots as glider pilots first and foremost. So they got the basics of flight. Right. And is that, is that, is that the same way with the Swiss Air Force uh, that they they would train their pilots to learn how to fly gliders first, and then you know then they go through the whole basic flying stuff. Good question. I'm not sure. It might have been that way, like you know, in the early days. But definitely not these days. They all start with like you know something small, like you know a Cessna or something like that, a motored or a, a, an aircraft with an engine. Definitely. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, you know, let's kind of do the other couple parts of this question. Is uh, so you said you've been taking photo, you've been doing videography and photography for years now. But how long have you been doing it for uh, aviation? Okay. So the aviation photography side is I. The first air show I went to where I took pictures was in 1989 at the Sion Air Show in Switzerland. I borrowed my dad's, I can't remember if it was a Minolta or Konica um, point-and-shoot camera. I had enough money for one or two rolls of film. And my dad came home with a fax of the schedule... <laughs> of the air show so i planned out i knew how many shots i will have so i planned out how many photos i would take of each aircraft i wanted to do and since the harrier is my favorite aircraft i think it turned out to either two or three shots of the harrier so that still still makes me laugh but that's that's the first air show that i've taken photos and i actually still have this album and i look through it once in a while and i chuckle at the pictures but hey we all have to start somewhere but the other thing that air showed it in me was the love for helicopters there were two french from the french air force there were two gazelle helicopters there and they put on an amazing flight demo with loops and rolls and not that i want to fly loops or rolls in a helicopter but it sparked that idea on me that i someday i want to learn to fly helicopters which is a dream that i realized like i started flying 10 years ago and earned my private pilot's license by 2012 so it's just something i did on the side and it's a hobby even today don't fly often but i do fly a handful of hours every year so just for currency and stuff like that. exactly right? exactly exactly so so one last couple of questions before i move it on is um what what do you consider your home airport well i would say my home airport is boeing field in seattle even though it's a little bit of distance away but i think that just boeing field has you know the most interesting aircrafts coming and going for for spotting sakes there are a, a couple small airports around me near me here actually in town we have a seaport 
here that maybe sees 10 aircrafts a year. And then there's Bremerton National Airport, which I did part of my uh, helicopter flight training, which is just pretty much strictly a GA. Uh, has a couple private jets hangar there, but that's about as, as, as much there is. So, um, But for a spotting, I, I definitely make the trip over to um, Boeing Field or SeaTac. Cool. Um, and one last question before moving on is what other hobbies outside of aviation photography do you do? What other hobbies do I have? So hobby related, I mean, I love photography, not only aircraft photography, also like landscape photography. And I have almost 10 year old twins. So I love to take pictures when they do their sports or, or the girl does either like, you know, dance or ballet or something, whatever gives me an opportunity to take pictures of the kids, uh, snowboarding. Yes. I've done that as well. So, um, yeah, I like to do that. Um, I've been a dive instructor since 2000 and let me think. Yeah, 2005, I became a dive instructor, have actively taught um, till about 2015. Then I dialed it back a bit. You know, I do dive occasionally. So, um, yeah, scuba diving, whatever kind of like uh, I can leave terra firma, whether it's going underwater or in the air. Okay, cool. That's that's pretty awesome to do. I've never been diving before, but uh, that's off on the bucket list. Yes. All right, man. Well, let's start getting into the uh, aviation-specific stuff. Uh, so let's start out as what type of camera do you have and what have you used in the past? Oh, what time? Okay. I oh, If I go way, way back, I think in kindergarten, I started with a pocket format 110 camera i remember taking photos at the zoo so but let's uh, then i had uh, my first dslr which i got was 16 it was a canon film film slr um eventually i switched over into the nikon camp had another nikon slr and my first dslr was at nikon d40x which i bought as a a kit with uh, two lenses uh, I think had a 1855 55-200 and I remember uh, one of the years I went to Oshkosh I brought that and uh, grabbed a couple nice photos of my main reason I went there was for the for the air crane Ericsson air crane did a demo there with, with water drops so that was my main target there. I brought home a few good pictures. So that that's uh, where I started out with my DSLRs. I eventually upgraded, then I went to a Nikon D5100. From that, I went to a Nikon D5300, which is these days, actually, I use it as my backup camera. And now I'm shooting with a Nikon D7500. That's uh, quite a larger buffer than all my other cameras. It's like either 8 to 10 frames a second. So, and um, yeah, I'm actually pretty happy with the D7500. And um, I've, uh, as far as lenses go, uh, my main air show lens is uh, I bought a si Sigma 150 to 600 contemporary, which actually has served me so far very well. I've been pretty happy with it. I just recently bought also a 100 to 400 
Sigma lens, just uh, in case I, I don't need quite that reach, especially with the, the crop factor I already have. So, and it's the 100-400 is also a good bit lighter because I can feel it in my arms after a day of air shows. <laughs> <laughs> the 150 to 600 does get uh, somehow, somewhat heavy. Um, other lenses I have, I have this uh, Sigma 18 to 300. That's more of a travel lens. Um, if I don't want to carry a lot, but kind of want a range, a uh, good range. So that's what I uh, bring along. Um, but that's not so much for spotting. I have some a uh, couple Nikon lenses, uh, 10 to 20 millimeter for if I need some super wide angle. Um, what else do I have? I think there's a, uh, uh, let me think, 18-140, I think. It's another Nikon lens that I have, sort of a little bit of an all-around lens. And it's nice to have, you know, two cameras handy, handy like especially at air shows. So if something's flying going on, I need the long range. And then at the end, when they taxi by in front so that I don't have to switch switch lenses, I can just pick up the other camera with a wider angle lens on there and, and get those shots. That's the same thing that I do. I have my old Pentax K30 with the 18 to 55 ready to go with my Canon 5D with the 100 to 400. So if I need to make a quick swap, make a quick swap. Don't worry about changing lenses. So right, right, that's right, always, right. always a good thing to have. But man, that's a lot of a lot of gear used in the past, and uh, that's that's pretty cool that you that you you had the experience of shooting with like film and stuff like that and SLRs and you know it's you know it's it's always a lot of people um, you know they used to start out shooting DSLRs like a lot of the older generation now. <laughs> I mean to sound kind of like that, but what I mean is like learning how to shoot film and stuff, like actually using actual like light meters and stuff like that, like it's right. kind of a lost art and stuff like that. Right, right, right. And my dad, he was also big into photography and we even had at home a complete uh, darkroom outfit. So we used to shoot black and white, we would develop the film ourselves, and then we would make prints ourselves. So I uh, did this at home, I did this at school, I've even taken once in my teenage years a photography camp. There we actually shot more uh, color slides, but yeah, I did all sorts of photography things. So, But this good times though, great memories. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. That's really awesome. All right, well, let's... Uh... Well, now that we know your cameras and all that, let's move it on to the uh, second time to talk about the uh, airports, airplanes, and all that good stuff. All right, so what is your uh, favorite airport to go and take photos at? Favorite airport? So as I mentioned earlier, you know, I like to go to uh, Boeing Field. I think there's always a good, good variety coming and going, sometimes more, sometimes less. I also like to you know, stop by Renton Airport, where... Boeing's uh, 737 MAX factory is at and see what sort of new MAXs they have pushed out from the factory. So I always like to go look around there. And uh, I also like, you know, commercial aviation. So, but not as much for, for me, it's, I, I really like military aircrafts. But um, yeah, so between Boeing Field, SeaTac, Renton, so that's where i do my rounds what's your favorite aircraft you've ever taken a photo of a bfi i would almost say this is what comes on top of my head 
Boeing 777X on the day of the first flight, which happened last year. Uh, they were they, they got skunked the first two days because of, of weather. And then the third try was the charm, which happened to be a Saturday, and I was able to make it over there. So started out a pain field to watch the takeoff, and then uh, went down to a Boeing field to uh, watch the arrival, and we were up on the hill and uh, got some couple nice shots with you know the triple seven x and the chase plane and uh, you know the big boeing hangar in the background so it kind of all, all brought it together with a nice background or an appropriate background i probably should say yeah triple seven x is always fun to go take photos of up there but um was it like a gargantuan convoy as soon as that airplane took off from pain like everybody got in their cars and started going down south no it <sighs> I wouldn't say so. I mean, I'm sure there was there was a fair amount of people. There were obviously lots of Boeing employees there, and I'm sure the majority of them did not go, did not go to Boeing Field. They were just more interested in seeing, you know, their hard work finally taking off. And um, uh, the whole media, whoever had media credentials, uh, Boeing bust them down to Boeing Field, and. Um, that day I did not have media credentials, so I, I drove myself out and I wasn't stuck in traffic. So there was there was not really was not 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 really an issue. Right, cool. I know that the seven eight seven it was that way. You know, those gargantuan as a line of traffic and never panned down to Boeing in two thousand nine. <laughs> right, right. I can imagine that. So we know that now that BFI is your favorite airport to go spot at. Um, what is your favorite so it's kind of just that two-part question is, what is your favorite airplane to spot, and what is your favorite aircraft of all time? Yeah, it's a, I agree. It's a two-part question. I really like to take pictures of helicopters, and I like to do panning shots to get you know, a nice, decent rotor blur. So whenever I have an opportunity, whether it's at BFI or, or, or somewhere else, I really like taking helicopter pictures. As far as favorite aircraft, and it's also what the love of aviation, it, it has to it, it has to be the Harrier. Because as a kid, I loved the Harrier. It's the aspect of vertical flight and you know, the hovering, and that sort of brings me back again to helicopters and hovering. So, and to to this day, I still enjoy seeing the Harrier at air shows, which the Marines still fly them. So. And in Europe, uh, I, th I think, I think it's, it's Spain. Spain. Spain, I think. I think Italy retired it. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's about Spain that's left over. So, and they do make once in a while an appearance on some air show. So, but the one aircraft I have not seen is the the F thirty five. I don't know. Is it the, is it the A model that can the B model, the, the Marine model, the, the B model? The, the, yes, I have not seen that yet. So I hope someday. Uh, my my path will will cross with the F-35B model and uh, see, see that at a demo. It's extremely impressive to see that aircraft doing like, you know, it's high speed passes and it's, you know, close to supersonic as they can get. And then it also just bam, slow down, open the top hatch up and just start going to hover flight. It is it is extremely amazing to see. Yes, I can imagine. I mean, I have seen the the A model plenty of times at Nellis and, and other air shows, but not come across the B model yet. 
I will say this with the F35, the C model is my favorite with that bigger wing. Hands down, definitely the C model is my okay. favorite variant of the F35. So Harrier, as the favorite aircraft of all time, and um, helicopters in general as your favorite air, uh, just now, actually, aircrafts to spy, I should say. Got to make that plural. Right. So what is your what is your favorite helicopter of all time then? Favorite helicopter from a form factor, I would say it has to be the French Gazelle. That just was made by I think Aerospatiale, which then eventually became Eurocopter and now is Airbus. So obviously they no longer make that, but there's still several around also in the states that are flown, and uh, it just has such a sleek form factor. It was also extremely fast, and uh, so yeah, that's I would say from the looks one of my my favorite helicopters um i've uh, had the chance to once fly in a super puma from the swiss air force that was also a neat experience and um so another very interesting helicopter which i've not seen flying but i've seen it exhibited at the uh, central air force museum in moscow in monino is the milmi 12 it's a two-rotor helicopter. It's just this giant behemoth. It's just there on, on in static exhibit, but it was nevertheless fascinating to see the, the size of it. It's just gigantic. Yeah, and for those that don't know, that's it's like a prototype with like literally multiple of, uh, what are they, the MI-12 helicopters? Like, like those on like pylons or like a central a central just like cab right 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 it, it looks like it has a fuselage of an of of an airplane and then it has like these two little stubby wings and then outside are these uh two rotors it's it's almost like a, a chinook but instead of the rotors having front and back it's just side to side it's the the Soviets came up with some very unique aircraft design, and what's even better is they actually flew a lot of these. Yes, yes, indeed. And that's that's why I love Soviet designed aircraft. Is just they're just so unique, and it's like they're pushing the boundaries of aerospace engineering and stuff like that. But exactly, exactly, and that's why the the, the Central Air Force Museum in Monino houses a lot of these like prototypes and stuff they have tested in in all those years uh whoever finds themselves in russia uh, i can highly recommend to go visit that museum and see all the stuff that's standing around there incredibly fascinating and interesting yeah that's on a bucket list for sure and um you know, we'll talk about i think we'll, we'll we'll mention uh uh marks here here in a bit i know and we'll, we'll talk about that more in detail in a bit um do you, even have, do you have a least favorite aircraft to take photos of? Least favorite aircraft? I would have to kind of put this into category. It's kind of like acrobatics. It doesn't do a whole lot for me. And I know it, I mean, these are all incredibly skilled, experienced aviators. But for some reason, acrobatics, it's just, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. And it's even kind of with the, the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. It's it's a fantastic display. I have seen it numerous times, but it's just um, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Okay, 
Yeah, it's you know once you see the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels, you you know you've seen it once, you've seen it a lot. Uh, it might be a little different though this year with the Blue Angels because as they're transitioned from the Legacy Hornet to the Super Hornet. Right, right, I agree. That's uh, going to be a little bit different when you know apparently they're going to do some different um, what is it different design techniques or not design but different acrobatic stuff um, that's more capable of the Super Hornet. So you know a little bit uh, different thing to look forward to now. Right, I agree, and I'm looking forward to see them again. I think they're scheduled for Seafair. Whether it happens or not, we will see. We will see. Exactly. Hopefully I will make it up there for that, because I love that's about the closest I'll be able to see the Blues this year, uh, coming from Boise. And because right. our Gowan Thunder air show got canceled, like one of the first yes. air shows to be canceled, which is which sucked. But, I mean, I honestly didn't have high hopes for the show anyway. So Right, right. All right, so least favorite, just uh, just acrobatic stuff, which is actually kind of weird. You know, if you think about it, if like a lot of like these this you know these pilots that fought acrobatic stuff, not just the Thunderbirds and stuff like that, but a lot of the passenger and stuff, that's what gets a lot of people into the aviation stuff. So that's actually really interesting. That's that's true. Even like you know when 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 I go to air shows, even if it's just a you know single prop plane doing acrobatics, I don't know why. It's just it's it's not my thing. And I know there it takes a lot of skill, a lot of practice. It's incredible what they can um, like accomplish to you know defy gravity and whatever else else they do, but it's it doesn't do a whole lot for me so yeah no i agree it's like when i go to air shows i'm not really interested in taking the photos of the um acrobatic guys unless they do like something special or there's a backdrop to it sure yeah i agree i mean i could do it to test out some settings trying to get some more plot prop blur and stuff like that but otherwise it's not my cup of tea sure i agree i agree so kind of moving it on to the next question is, um, what is the rarest aircraft you've ever taken a photo of? Or in this case, seen? Because we talked about, about this uh, earlier. Yes, yes. So I, I had to think quite long and hard about it. Um, I actually have seen a lot of rare aircrafts at uh, Monino um, Central Air Force Museum in Russia. It's probably too many to count but the one i actually have seen flying and i kind of this happened all unintentional i was at a public pool in switzerland and that happened either the late 80s or the early 90s and there was this like unusual sound in the sky didn't really know what it was did not sound like anything else we looked up and what flew overhead was the concord and they usually did not fly over switzerland I think had to do with uh, either noise issues or noise abatement issues or something like that. But yes, there was the Concorde flying overhead, going from somewhere to somewhere else. So, so I would say that was one of the one of the rarest that I've seen in flight. That's pretty cool. Um, have you ever had the chance to fly on a Concorde? I have not. I did go in. What was it? Concorde used to come to Oshkosh on a yearly basis. And when, what year did the crash occur in Paris? Was that 2000 or 2001? Uh, 2000, I believe. Yes. And I had just moved to, to Illinois from Michigan. And my brother and I, my brother flew in from New York. And we wanted, we, we were going up to, to Oshkosh. And our goal was 
was it to see the Concorde, but because the accident had happened, and I say maybe a week or two in, before Oshkosh happened, they ended up canceling because they grounded you know, all Concords. And so that was the sort of the closest of actually having it seen flying close up. So, um, but unfortunately it did not happen. So that's no, too bad. Yes. Yeah, it was uh, in July of 2000. Yeah, I see. When the, yes. the crash, the crash yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, and then usually Oshkosh happens la later that month in July. Dang. Well, um, you know, you—that's the rarest aircraft you've ever, you know, you've seen or whatnot. But what's the, you know, what's the rarest aircraft you actually have a photo of? Rarest aircraft I have. Um, I Tupolev 144. That was exhibited at max that was interesting to see and there i got to go inside obviously it's not flying but you know got to go in the cockpit and look around front to back also interesting was seeing the suhoi 47 that was also exhibited static just with that where the wings are pointed forward interesting design the, the uh the bear the bear coop right i think so and then uh, but to me the uh, like I, I wouldn't say it's rare, but maybe it's rare for Americans to. But the Suhoi 57. Now uh, that demo that was flown by Sergei Bogdan, that was just absolutely mind-boggling, what they can do with that aircraft. So that was probably my my own personal rarest aircraft that I had seen. No, that the Su fifty seven fell uh, fell on, or it could have been the T fifty that you also seen, or whatever. There's so many different variants of this aircraft now, but I honestly think that's a very beautiful aircraft. It is. It looks stunning. It really is. But you know, I know we're, we're kind of on the same question as we had talked about to the, with the listener before we kind of started. Is you know the question that's kind of next. So like the favorite event and our location, and you were the one that actually. Um, asked me or kind of told me about, hey, you should do a question like this. So it is thanks to you that we have this question. So before we talk about that, um, I think I already know what your favorite location is outside. So we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about that here in a second. But let's talk about Marks uh, because you and another really good mutual friend of mine did Marks. So what is the process? Well, okay, let's talk. Let's, let's say like, what is Marks? And for someone like, you know, someone like me as a United States citizen or whatever, how do we go to the show in Russia? Okay, these are good questions. So the Max Air Show is Russia's largest uh, aviation event or air show that happens uh, once every two years. It was in 2017, then it was again in 2019, and supposedly happening again this year. So that's where kind of they bring military aviation, they bring Russian space, they they bring commercial aviation. It's it's all shown there. There are foreign participants there. Um, even Boeing had a rather smallish uh, booth there. Uh, yeah, so that's it's uh, the show happens in Zukovsky which is uh, about an hour outside of Moscow. It's very easy built, very easy to reach by train from Moscow, and then they bus the participants onto that, that airfield. So that the getting there is the easy part. You just, you know, you fly to Moscow, 
take the train or some people even prefer to stay out there uh the little bit of a harder part is as american citizens or citizens from other countries you need a visa you can do this on a regular you know tourist visa the process of getting the russian tourist visa is sort of i would say a bit antiquated um you need to get like a, an invitation letter and there are outfits who who provide these invitation letters you pay a few dollars and then you have to fill out the form uh from the russian government for the tourist visa that takes about an hour they want to also know about your travel history from the last 10 years so but after 30 line items it won't take any more <laughs> yes and then uh and then you can't really submit it directly to the russian embassy they have these like sub agencies that handle that so you have to turn in your passport and your forms and your photos to the sub agency and obviously every everybody wants some money for their services so it costs about around 300 dollars to get the tourist visa so that's why i encourage everybody since they offer the three-year tourist visa get the three-year tourist visa make sure your passport is valid long enough so because who knows maybe once you go to mox you may want to go again to mox two years later so at least you can you know utilize your tourist visa for a second time and of course there's plenty other things to see in russia besides mox that are worthwhile traveling there but um yeah so get the most for for your money and an effort since it it, it takes quite quite the effort but it's doable it's definitely doable yeah that's definitely on a bucket list item for me and you know my degrees in international relations with a russia emphasis and all that so my you know i would love to visit uh, russia one day and go to that air park and the museums and stuff like that and see all those soviet built aircraft that i think are really cool um you know growing up in the united states um i have i don't think i have seen a flying russian aircraft no way they have um, a couple years ago, the Open Skies TU-154 flew over Boise, and I, I saw the contrail of it. Excellent. But I, I don't think I've seen a flying Russian-built aircraft. Um, I have. I've seen the MiG-15. Okay. The MiG-15, the MiG-17s, the MiG that, uh, you know, air shows and stuff yes, like that. But yes, otherwise, yes. like, I have, I think that's 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 probably it. I've right. seen an Antonov. There used to be an Antonov AN2 that used to be based in Caldwell, which is a smaller airport uh, in the valley. And I remember one of the airships out there, there's an AN2 sitting out there. That was pretty cool. Yes, those are fascinating aircrafts. I got to go into one at Mox and on the same trip. I was in, I was in Switzerland first, and uh, I saw one at our local airfield back home there are maybe two or three in switzerland that are run by like historic groups and they sell um flights like uh, scenic flight seats it's about a hundred bucks and they take you up for 45 minutes to an hour and uh so yeah that's that's also something i want to do sometime uh would love to fly an antonov too that's oh, yeah. just it has like no stalls or no published stall speed or something like that huh. it's uh yeah, fantastic. That's, it's, it's the Russian DC-3 that will go on forever. Right, right, Never. exactly. 
<laughs> that aircraft will never ever retire just like the dc3 right right yeah it's it's incredible and even see, seeing it fly it looks beautiful in the sky it really is it really is a very beautiful aircraft and it's very versatile it has a high wing you know it's a pretty much a biplane but it's just so versatile and i believe like some like the russian special forces are still using it today i would not be surprised yeah well anyway let's you know now that we talked about max max guys max not marks max i apologize um you know let's talk about your your question specifically you know what is your favorite event or location outside so i'm going to let you take this one away okay um, let's talk about axe help and uh Right, so good old Axalp Air Show in Switzerland, which is a live fire training. So I'm going to back up here a little bit to the beginnings of that. Absolutely. As a kid, my mother used to take us to once a year, the Swiss Army had this weapons demonstration, what they do, which was kind of the predecessor to the Axalp Show. And that was in a, in a town of Thun, which is right next to where I grew up, and they have a big tank tank training field where they you know, drive around and have like mud pits, and and they would also um, fire their their tank cannons. And there's this big hill where they used as, as, as a target hill. So once a year they had a weapons demonstration where the public was invited. They shot tanks, they had artillery there, and they would also come with the Hawker Hunter or the, the Haviland vampires they had and the, the Venoms. And they they would you know shoot shoot their guns and had like free fall bombs and also at the end of the demonstration they would always drop napalm which is really incredible to see, but and but as the years went on there's more and more the area became more and more populated and they couldn't do that anymore, so that's what became of the the Axel live fire training, which is kind of like above the town of Brienz in, in Switzerland in the Swiss Alps. And Oxalp is like this little valley, which is a military um, shooting training area for, for fighter jets. So once a year, it's usually in the second week of October, uh, the public's invited to this uh, live fire training event the event itself is not really advertised as an air show it's a live fire exercise where they have areas for spectators to come attend it's free to attend but what one ends up paying is the actual getting there so first you have to make to the village of axalp which is in the alps and to get there it's a one-way road up the hill so in order that there is no chaos with people driving up and driving down at the same time they close that road every day from five till a, in the morning till about eight at night or so and there's the local bus company that runs a very unique intricate uh, bus system where they have 
two-way traffic with buses on this one-way road and all the drivers are in constant communication with each other and everybody knows who where where the other buses are in order to avoid chaos chaos they have turnouts and they wait for each other and pass and it works flawless they have been doing this for years so I usually go about at 8 in the morning to be at the park and ride. They have these big fields they mark off for for parking. And because also at 8 in the morning is where they make like a preliminary go, no-go decision. So in case the event gets canceled, you just can go back in a car and go home. But once you buy a bus ticket, you know, and then you spend money um, and you start heading up the hill... Once you, once you get to the town of Oxalp, you can take a chairlift, which gets you further up into the mountains. That helps about shave an hour of walking off uphill. And then from there, it, I would say a, a fit person, it would take about an hour and a half to get to the like spectator areas. Um, Takes me a little longer, but I like to start out in the morning early, be there by 8, get on the bus, and then you have all morning to hike up. There is no rush. There is a one section that's rather steep, but uh, the cool thing is that uh, the Swiss uh, Air Force already runs runs practice drills in the morning. So while you're hiking up, they're already flying and shooting overhead. And then the actual demonstration starts at two o'clock sharp and it runs usually for about an hour and a half and it culminates with the pottery swiss flying their f5s their acrobatic routines but in between and in the past years you would get uh, um obviously they they do the the shooting demonstrations first they had the f18 after the the legacy hornets they're still flying um they used to do also with the F5s, but they will no longer use the F5s for for the Exalp event, maybe due to its age. And the Swiss Air Force also uh, then demonstrates usually their PC-21, uh, which is their uh, turbo prop trainer, which they use for the pilot training. That's also a pretty incredible display. And then you get the, uh, the Super Puma slash Cougar, display and they do this signature flare kick out ends up looking like a christmas tree um they also do some uh bucket water drops with the super pumas um then they have the f-18 single ship demo they do that's always incredible and since it's in this valley i mean the scenery is just absolutely stunning with its mountain backdrop and and sometimes it can have snow and sometimes it's almost summer but because it's in the it's like you know early to mid-october weather is such a big factor that i mean the first two times i've tried to go to the show it had been canceled the first time i went i made it to the top of the chairlift turned right back around because it's canceled went down the following year um i actually made it to the top and there was a cloud um sitting on that little valley and they literally canceled the event five minutes before it started because 
that cloud, me being in fog there, it just would not budge. They flew around it. We heard it. They flew around with the helicopters and jets. It just did not budge and they had to to cancel it. And we hiked back down and we hiked, and we hiked out and it it was, yeah. It was just unfortunate. Then the following year, there was a about a week or two before Axal, they had a helicopter accident in the Swiss Air Force. Not at Axal, this was unrelated, but they sort of held a stand down and they canceled the event. But then finally in 2017, it was just blue sky, sunny, um, snow-capped mountains. It's just incredible to see that. So, And you're also really close, I mean, compared... And also, the you know closest target is maybe I would say maybe a hundred yards away. So uh, yeah, super super impressive to see, and probably one of only the I don't know of many other events where you can see actual live fire training and 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 be so close to the to the action activity. Yeah, that is that's a pretty incredible location and a thing to do. Um, I mean, I. <laughs> I would love to see like a live fire air show, like the A tent or something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, but that's really cool. I know like they do like a lot of flare pops and stuff like that. You know, you see a lot of those epic photos and stuff from up there, and that always is a bucket list item. But and it's, that's really cool that you know they do that for you know like hey you know come on out we'll shoot some live fire and stuff like that. And it's just like that's pretty cool. It is. It is actually. I mean, it's sort of once you go there once and you get to see it, you just want to go again because even though it's only like the actual event is an hour and a half, but you have there are three spectator areas and every area kind of gives you sort of like a different like vantage point. One is a little lower, and then there's like this main area, and then. One is further up where there's this little control tower where they control what happens. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely s- spectacular. Yeah. And I can recommend it. Hopefully you you can join the fun some year and come along. I would love to come along one year and join that for sure. I mean, uh, I mean obviously right now, Americans aren't really allowed in Europe right now, unfortunately. But um, yes, I hope I, that'll... I, Exactly. Let's hope this, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this pandemic and we can resume somewhat normally and also have more air shows. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I agree. So Axel, favorite location. You have a lot of great stories from there. You know, do you have another one that you uh, want to tell the, uh, the listener out there? Another spotting story or anything like that? Another great spotting story or spotting place, which ties in with the Axel uh, live fire training is to go hang out at the Meiringen Air Base, and that's down in the valley, not too far from Axalp, and that's where the aircraft, or most of the aircrafts, launch for the the Axalp live fire runs they do, and the, the air base there you can get actually fairly close to the aircrafts and the runway. Actually, crazy to think is that there is a road going across the runway because it's got get to one side of the town to the other side of the town because this is in a valley so when a jet is about to take off they close the road so then it becomes a full runway and then the 
the jets or the helicopters take off and then the road opens back up and you even can walk across there super crazy so but they have these old like sort of like grass covered hangars and you can you can walk around or walk along the the runway there's about a chest high fence there that you can pretty much stand where you like and and take pictures of the F-18s and they usually also they hanger those F-18s in caverns and you can see them taxiing out the caverns they they taxi across the field obviously they have their paved taxiway but it's in between fields of uh, cows grazing grass and they cows could care less of those jets taxiing by they close the road they taxi across the road into the airbase and then they will go up to the active runway and take off so you, there's so many spots you can stand and be like literally you know 20 30 feet next to the f-18 taxiing by and then there's also a lot of um uh, VIP helicopter traffic there's about five I want to say about five six hundred lucky people that uh, land themselves an invite just like media and politicians and other other um, designated people that have the the pleasure of uh, flying up to Exalp which takes all of about six minutes so there's a lot of uh, super puma helicopter traffic so if if somebody wants to practice panning for you know good rotor blur that's a great place to do it there's one after the other for about an hour plus just coming by every couple minutes so super interesting yeah, that's pretty cool. Definitely good, another good location and stuff like that. But man, getting some cows with some hornets, like the cows not giving a crap. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. Exactly. That's pretty awesome. Um, I wish there were people like that too. Just don't give crap either. But unfortunately, <laughs> people do give a crap. Well, anyway, man, let's start uh, kind of wrapping her up, dude. Do you have any tips, words of encouragement out there for the listener? Um, I just, as everybody else says, go out there, take pictures, take pictures, practice, practice, practice. I think if somebody wants to get into spotting or whatever, one does really not need the most expensive camera gear because in the end, it's the photographer that takes the picture or takes the good picture. Even if somebody goes out there and they you know they they purchase like a christmas all the manufacturers have these like deals on kit cameras that come with a you know, wide angle and a, a longer range zoom that's a great way to start and even even with what the cameras can do these days and even with lower end dslrs one can actually take really great pictures and that's a really great way to spotting and just go out there have fun um, take pictures practice practice talk to other spotters i think we're pretty much a friendly bunch and we're happy to help and give pointers and uh, and help out and, and uh, share stories and yeah just just go try it go to air shows meet like-minded folks and uh yeah before you know it you land some really cool shots so Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more right there. You know, be social, learn, never uh, always ask questions and try to keep learning. Absolutely. It'll pay off in the end. 
Exactly, exactly. So, hey, man, uh, where can the listener uh, find you and find your work? Okay, so the best way to find my work is, I would say, at Instagram. I I used to post on Facebook, but um, Facebook I usually keep these days for for friends and family. And I, people ask me, where is your work? Where is your work? I started Twitter. Um, I don't post much on, on Twitter. And then I thought, okay, I could bite the bullet open up Instagram. So I've been sort of kind of going through my, my archives, re-editing photos, but definitely Instagram is the, the best place to find it. My handle is at Swiss Schneider. And uh, yeah, I just keep growing. I try to post, you know, a few pictures every week and it's just, just aviation. And I just post whatever I find from the past that I really like and, and enjoy and uh, re-edit some pictures, which I enjoy very much and put it up there. And uh, yeah, check it out at Swiss Schneider. Awesome. And guys, go give him a follow. You will not be disappointed in what you see. You will see stuff from Axalp. You'll see stuff from Max. You'll see stuff from BFI. Um, the whole nine yards, you're going to see it on there. And trust me, you will not be disappointed with the content and quality of Pete's photos. And I just want to say again, Pete, thank you again for coming on the show. I really, really do appreciate it and all your help that you have given me. Oh, thanks for having me again. I'm, I'm honored you, you, I, I could come on and uh, love the show and, you know, love to help out and uh, give input and uh, yeah, looking forward to upcoming episodes and who else you have planned. Yeah, we have a good slew of guests lined up. And uh, you know what? Speaking of that, uh, make sure you guys, I'm going to do something special for you guys. Uh, I'm going to do three episodes in March, and I have enough people to do that. So just, just, just for March, we'll see how it goes. But this next guest, it, I said Kadar was the, my biggest guest, and Kadar, being an extremely humble man that he is, um, I, I this next guest on March 3rd is, uh, let's just say you have all seen his photos, and you have, and there's a very special Southwest story that he took with a retiring captain from a helicopter. I'll let you guys think about that on who it's going to be. But um, but before that, before we wrap rep for good, uh, if you guys have any questions, comments for the show, reach out to me, BOI Spotter, on Twitter and Instagram. Send me an email, askspotterspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, check out the Facebook page and check out the YouTube page, guys. YouTube is up and running. All current episodes are up there. Uh, Pete's episode should be up there. If you know somebody who you think deserves to come on the show and talk aviation with me and they don't have the necessary means like a Spotify or Apple podcast or Google podcast or whatever, um, point them towards the YouTube page. Great tool to help get the podcast out there. So anyway, guys, please go check that out and please use the hashtags, hashtag AskSpottersPod and hashtag AviationSpottersPodcast. That helps me find a lot of stuff on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and uh, get those guys on the show. Before we close it out here, Peter, any uh, any last uh, things before we close her out? No, that's it. I had a great time. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, yeah, go out there, take pictures. Yeah, go out there, take some photos, guys. Do it safely, though, right now. We're almost, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Let's not screw it up. Anyway, guys, that's going to do it for me here on another episode of the Aviation Spotters Podcast. And as always, keep those batteries charged, those cameras ready. I'll catch you on another episode of... The Aviation Spotters Podcast.